Section 9 of Yet Again by Max Beerbohm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Decline of the Graces. Have you read the young lady's book? You have had plenty of time to do so, for it was published in 1829. It was described by the two anonymous gentlewomen who compiled it as a manual for elegant recreations, exercises, and pursuits. You wonder they had nothing better to think of? You suspect them of having been triflers? They were not, believe me. They were careful to explain at the outset that the virtues of character were what a young lady should most assiduously cultivate. They, in their day, laboring under the shadow of the eighteenth century, had somehow in themselves that high moral fervor which marks the opening of the twentieth century and is said to have come in with Mr. George Bernard Shaw. But, unlike us, they were not concerned wholly with the inward and spiritual side of life. They cared for the material surface, too. They were learned in the frills and furbelows of things. They gave, indeed, a whole chapter to embroidery. Another they gave to archery. Another to the aviary. Another to the escrutoire. Young ladies do not now keep birds, nor shoot with bow and arrow, but they do still, in some measure, write letters. And so, for sake of historical comparison, let me give you a glance at the escritoire. It is not light reading. For careless scrawls ye boast of no pretense, fair Russell wrote, as well as spoke, with sense. Thus is the chapter headed, with a delightful little wood engraving of Fair Russell, looking preeminently sensible, at her desk, to prepare the reader for the imminent welter of rules for decorous composition. Not that pedantry is approved. Ease and simplicity, an even flow of unlabored diction, an artless arrangement of obvious sentiments is the ideal to be striven for a metaphor may be used with advantage by any young lady but only if it occur naturally and allusions are elegant but only when introduced with ease, and when they are well understood by those to whom they are addressed. An antithesis renders a passage piquant, but the dire results of a too frequent indulgence in it are relentlessly set forth. Pages and pages are devoted to a minute survey of the pitfalls of punctuation, but when the young lady of that period had skirted all these, and had observed all the manifold rules of calligraphy that were here laid down for her, she was not even then out of the wood. Very special stress was laid on the use of the seal. Bitter scorn was poured on young ladies who misused the seal. 
it is a habit of some to thrust the wax into the flame of the candle and the moment a morsel of it is melted to daub it on the paper and when an unsightly mass is gathered together to pass the seal over the tongue with ridiculous haste press it with all the strength which the sealing party possesses and the result is an impression which raises a blush on her cheek well the young ladies of that day were ever expected to exhibit sensibility and used to blush just as they wept or fainted for very slight causes their tears and their swoons did not necessarily betoken much grief or agitation nor did a rush of colour to the cheek mean necessarily that they were overwhelmed with shame to exhibit various emotions in the drawing-room was one of the elegant exercises in which these young ladies were drilled thoroughly and their habit of simulation was so rooted in sense of duty that it merged into sincerity if a young lady did not swoon at the breakfast-table when her papa read aloud from the times that the duke of wellington was suffering from a slight chill the chances were that she would swoon quite unaffectedly when she realized her omission even so we may be sure that a young lady whose cheek burned not at sight of the letter she had sealed untidily unworthily the manual calls it would anon be blushing for her shamelessness such a thing as the blurring of the family crest or as the pollution of the profile of pallas athene with the smoke of the taper was hardly indeed one of those very slight causes to which i have referred the georgian young lady was imbued through and through with the sense that it was her duty to be gracefully efficient in whatsoever she set her hand to to the young lady of to-day belike she will seem accordingly ridiculous seem poor-spirited and a pettifogger true she set her hand to no grandiose tasks she was not allowed to become a hospital nurse for example or an actress the young lady of to-day when she hears in herself a vocation for tending the sick would willingly without an instant's preparation assume responsibility for the lives of a whole ward at st thomas's this responsibility is not however thrust on her she has to submit to a long and tedious course of training before she may do so much as smooth a pillow the boards of the theatre are less jealously hedged in than those of the hospital if our young lady have a wealthy father and retain her schoolroom faculty for learning poetry by heart there is no power on earth to prevent her from making her debut somewhere as juliet if she be so inclined and such is usually her inclination that her voice is untrained that she cannot scan blank verse that she cannot gesticulate with grace and propriety nor move with propriety and grace across the stage matters not a little bit to our young lady feeling she will say is everything 
and of course she at the age of eighteen has more feeling than juliet that flapper could have had all those other things those little technical tricks can be picked up or will come but no i misrepresent our young lady if she be conscious that there are such tricks to be played she despises them when later she finds the need to learn them she still despises them it seems to her ridiculous that one should not speak and comport oneself as artlessly on the stage as one does off it the notion of speaking or comporting oneself with conscious art in real life would seem to her quite monstrous it would puzzle her as much as her grandmother would have been puzzled by the contrary notion personally i range myself on the grandmother's side i take my stand shoulder to shoulder with the graces on the banner that i wave is embroidered a device of prunes and prisms i am no blind fanatic however i admit that artlessness is a charming idea i admit that it is sometimes charming as a reality i applaud it all the more heartily because it is rare in children but then children like the young of all animals whatsoever have a natural grace as a rule they begin to show it in their third year and to lose it in their ninth within that span of six years they can be charming without intention and their so frequent failure in charm is due to their voluntary or enforced imitation of the ways of their elders in georgian and early victorian days the imitation was always enforced grown-up people had good manners and wished to see them reflected in the young nowadays the imitation is always voluntary grown-up people have no manners at all whereas they certainly have a very keen taste for the intrinsic charm of children they wish children to be perfectly natural that is aesthetically at least an admirable wish my complaint against these grown-up people is that they themselves whom time has robbed of their natural grace as surely as it robs the other animals are content to be perfectly natural this contentment i deplore and am keen to disturb i accept from my indictment any young lady who may read these words i will assume that she differs from the rest of the human race and has not never had anything to learn in the art of conversing prettily of entering or leaving a room or a vehicle gracefully of writing appropriate letters et patati et patata i will assume that all these accomplishments came naturally to her she will now be in a mood to accept my proposition that of her contemporaries none seems to have been so lucky as herself she will agree with me that other girls need training she will not deny that grace in the little affairs of life is a thing which has to be learned some girls have a far greater aptitude for learning it than others 
but with one exception no girls have it in them from the outset it is a not less complicated thing than is the art of acting or of nursing the sick and needs for the acquirement of it a not less laborious preparation is it worth the trouble certainly the trouble is not taken the finishing school wherein young ladies were taught to be graceful is a thing of the past it must have been a dismal place but the dismalness of it the strain of it was the measure of its indispensability there i beg the question is grace itself indispensable certainly it has been dispensed with it isn't reckoned with to sit perfectly mute in company or to chatter on at the top of one's voice to shriek with laughter to fling oneself into a room and dash oneself out of it to collapse on chairs or sofas to sprawl across tables to slam doors to write without punctuation notes that only an expert in handwriting could read and only an expert in misspelling could understand to hustle to bounce to go straight ahead to be let us say perfectly natural in the midst of an artificial civilization is an ideal which the young ladies of to-day are neither publicly nor privately discouraged from cherishing the word cherishing implies a softness of which they are not guilty i hasten to substitute pursuing if these young ladies were not in the aforesaid midst of an artificial civilization i should be the last to discourage their pursuit if they were amazons for example spending their lives beneath the sky in tilth of stubborn fields and in armed conflict with fierce men it would be unreasonable to expect of them any sacrifice to the graces but they are exposed to no such hardships they have a really very comfortable sort of life they are not expected to be useful i am writing all the time of course about the young ladies in the affluent classes and it seems to me that they in payment of their debt to fate ought to occupy the time that is on their hands by becoming ornamental and increasing the world's store of beauty in a sense certainly they are ornamental it is a strange fact and an ironic that they spend quite five times the annual amount that was spent by their grandmothers on personal adornment if they can afford it well and good let us have no sumptuary law but plenty of pretty dresses will not suffice pretty manners are needed with them and are prettier than they i had forgotten men every defect that i had noted in the modern young woman is not less notable in the modern young man briefly he is a boor if it is true that manners maketh man one doubts whether the british race can be perpetuated the young englishman of to-day is inferior to savages and to beasts of the field 
in that they are eager to show themselves in an agreeable and seductive light to the females of their kind, whilst he regards any such effort as beneath his dignity. Not that he cultivates dignity and demeanour, he merely slouches. Unlike his feminine counterpart, he lets his raiment match his manners. Observe him any afternoon, as he passes down Piccadilly, sullenly, with his shoulders humped, and his hat clapped to the back of his head, and his cigarette dangling almost vertically from his lips. It seems only appropriate that his hat is a billycock, and his shirt a flannel one, and that his boots are brown ones. Thus attired, he is on his way to pay a visit of ceremony to some house at which he has recently dined. No, that is the sort of visit he never pays. I must confess I don't myself. But one remembers the time when no self-respecting youth would have shown himself in Piccadilly without the vesture appropriate to that august highway. Nowadays there is no care for appearances. Comfort is the one aim. Any care for appearances is regarded rather as a sign of effeminacy. Yet never, in any other age of the world's history, has it been regarded so. Indeed, elaborate dressing used to be deemed by philosophers an outcome of the sex instinct. It was supposed that men dressed themselves finely in order to attract the admiration of women, just as peacocks spread their plumage with a similar purpose. Nor do I jettison the old theory. The declension of masculine attire in England began soon after the time when statistics were beginning to show the great numerical preponderance of women over men. And is it fanciful to trace the one fact to the other? Surely not. I do not say that either sex is attracted to the other by elaborate attire, but I believe that each sex, consciously or unconsciously, uses this elaboration for this very purpose. Thus the overdressed girl of today and the ill-dressed youth are but symbols of the balance of our population. The one is pleading, the other scorning. Take me, is the message borne by the furs and the pearls and the old lace. I'll see about that when I've had a look round, is the not-pretty answer conveyed by the billycock and the flannel shirt. I dare say that fine manners, like fine clothes, are one of the stratagems of sex. This theory squares at once with the modern young man's lack of manners, but how about the modern young woman's not less obvious lack? Well, the theory will square with that, too. The modern young woman's gracelessness may be due to her conviction that men like a girl to be thoroughly natural. She knows that they have a very high opinion of themselves, and what, thinks she, more natural than that they should esteem her in proportion to her power of reproducing the qualities that are most salient in themselves. Men, she perceives, are clumsy, and talk loud, and have no drawing-room accomplishments, and are rude, 
and she proceeds to model herself on them. Let us not blame her. Let us blame, rather, her parents or guardians, who, though they well know that a masculine girl attracts no man, leave her to the devices of her own inexperience. Girls ought not to be allowed, as they are, to run wild. So soon as they have lost the natural grace of childhood, they should be initiated into that course of artificial training through which their grandmothers passed before them, and in virtue of which their grandmothers were pleasing. This will not, of course, ensure husbands for them all, but it will certainly tend to increase the number of marriages nor is it primarily for that sociological reason that i plead for a return of the old system of education i plead for it first and last on aesthetic grounds let the graces be cultivated for their own sweet sake the difficulty is how to begin the mothers of the rising generation were brought up in the unregenerate way their scraps of oral tradition will need to be supplemented by much research. I advise them to start their quest by reading The Young Lady's Book. Exactly the right spirit is therein enshrined, though of the substance there is much that could not well be applied to our own day. The chapter on The Escrutoire, for example, belongs to a day that cannot be recalled we can get rid of bad manners but we cannot substitute the sedan chair for the motor-car and the penny post with telephones and telegrams has in our own beautiful phrase come to stay and has elbowed the art of letter-writing irrevocably from among us but notes are still written and there is no reason why they should not be written well has the mantle of those anonymous gentlewomen who wrote the young lady's book fallen on no one will no one revise that manual of elegant recreations exercises and pursuits adapting it to present needs a few hints as to the deportment in the motor-car the exact angle whereat to hold the receiver of a telephone and the exact key wherein to pitch the voice the conduct of a cigarette i see a wide and golden vista end of section nine